بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Last time we met we discussed signs number 7, 8 and 9 Today inshallah ta'ala we move to sign number 10 which is fighting with the Mongols. Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said, La taqumu al-sa'atu hatta yuqatila al-muslimoon al-turka qawman wujuhuhum kalmajani al-mutarraqah yalbasoon al-sha'ra wa yamshoon fi al-sha'ri The hour will not come until Muslims fight the Turks. A people whose faces resemble leathered shields. They wear hair and their shoes are hair made. The word Turk includes numerous Asian peoples who live in a region extending from eastern Siberia to western China. Many of those people entered Islam. The hadith, however, refers to the Mongols who live in the region or in the height of Mongolia. Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا تقوم الساعة حتى تقاتل الترك صغار الأعين حمر الوجوه ذلف الآنف كأن وجوههم المجان المطرقة The hour will not come until you fight the Turks. They have small eyes, reddish faces, and they are pug-nosed. In another hadith, Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي آخِرِ الزَّمَانِ جَاءَ بَنُوا قَمْطُورَائِ عِرَاضُ الْوُجُوهِ صِغَارُ الْأَعْيُنِ At the end of time, the children of Pantura will come. Their faces are wide, their eyes are small. Pantura is a wife to Ibrahim salam. It says in Genesis 25.1, Then again Ibrahim took a wife and her name was Kantura. Those descriptions that you just heard, small eyes, pug-nosed, wide reddish faces, they wear hair, which means they wear animals' skins. Their shoes are hair-made, fit exactly the Mongols, as if Allah's Messenger were seeing them. But he knew their descriptions based on what has been revealed to him. The Mongols, or the Tatar, raided the Islamic states in Central Asia until they conquered Baghdad, the capital of the Abbasid Caliphate. It was Hulaku, in English Hulegu, that came with his massive army and besieged Baghdad. 
The Caliph Al-Musta'asim was a very careless leader who did not live up to his responsibility in defending the city. But his wazir, the equivalent to the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense combined, was Ibn al-Alqami. Ibn al-Alqami belonged to the Shia sect. Ibn al-Alqami betrayed Allah and his messenger, his nation, and his country when he arranged for the Mongols to enter Baghdad. When the Mongols entered Baghdad, they killed over one million Muslims. There are, of course, many reasons that led to this tragic event. In order for us to understand what had happened, let us study some history. I will share with you a historical overview about the Abbasid Caliphate. The Abbasid Caliphate started in 132 and it ended in 656. The reign of the Abbasid Caliphate can be divided to two phases. The phase of power, the phase of weakness. We start talking about the phase of power. The phase of power lasted from 132 until 247. There were 10 caliphs in this phase who really ruled the caliphate with power and prestige. The eighth one of whom, Al-Mu'tasim, heavily employed Turks in his army. Later on, those Turks were able to control the administration and the military of the Caliphate. They became so powerful to the level that they killed one Caliph and put his son in power. When I say Turks, that does not refer to the Mongols because the Turk includes numerous Asian people. The second phase is the Abbasid weak phase. The Abbasid weak phase lasted from 247 until 656. There were 27 caliphs during the weak phase. Some of them were powerless, some of them were weak, and some were only figureheads. This weak phase could be divided into three sub-phases. The first sub-phase is the Turk control. The Turk control lasted from 247 until 334. As I told you, the 8th Caliph heavily employed Turks in his administration and army. As time passed by, those Turks acquired more and more power that their approval was needed for a candidate to be a Caliph. They were responsible to kill one Caliph that they were not happy with and assign the position to another with whom they were pleased. 
During their control, many territories became independent from the caliphate. The second subphase is the Buhaiyun subphase. This subphase lasted from 334 until 467. Who are the Buhaiyuns, the Buyids? They are a Shia dynasty of North Persian descent that controlled Iraq and Persia. Founded by the sons of Buyids. Buyids sons Ali, Hassan and Ahmed seized Asfahan, Kerman, Ray and Baghdad. With the capture of the Abbasid capital, the Buyids assumed control of the Abbasid Caliphate, reducing the Sunni Caliphs to figureheads only, while they ruled under the title of Amir al-Umara. During their reign, all traces of Arab leadership were erased. Their 125-year-long rule was replete with anarchy, looting, feuds, and riots. During their reign also, the Fatimid state that was previously established in North Africa grew as it snatched Egypt from the Abbasid Caliphate and added it to the Fatimid state. The third sub-phase is the Seljuk control. The Seljuk control lasted from 467 to 656. The Seljuks migrated from the north into Persia, fighting and conquering various tribes on their way. They converted to Sunni Islam. The land they eventually accumulated covering present-day Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Turkey, the entire Middle East and part of the Arabian Peninsula grew into the Seljuk Empire. Seljuk's son led the Seljuks southward. His grandson Turgal conquered Persia and Baghdad. He established the Seljuk capital at Nisabur. When he died, he left his holdings to his nephew, the great-grandson of Seljuk, Alp Arsalan. Alp Arsalan took over Atanolia after the Battle of Mensicrete. The Seljuks restored the last glory of the Abbasid Caliphate and unseated many small dynasties from power. Let's talk a little bit about the Battle of Mensicrete, Malad Kurd. The Battle of Mensicrete took place in 463. The Byzantine Emperor Ramanos tried to extend his influence into parts of the Turkish-held Armenia. His army was utterly destroyed in the Battle of Mensicrete, which is one of the decisive battles of history.
The Seljuks controlled Athanolia after Mencicrete, and the Byzantines were confined to the European part of the empire and a small strip of land along the Bosphorus. When Ardagal arrived to Asia Minor with 400 Turk families, he helped the Seljuks against the Byzantines. As a reward, he was given a permission to establish his principality in an area called Eski Shahr, adjacent to the Byzantine territory. His son was Uthman. It was Uthman descendants who later established the Uthmani Empire. I know, brothers and sisters, that I am sharing with you bits and pieces from history, but hopefully this information will give you an idea about the state of affairs during that time before the fall of the Abbasid Caliphate. Let us talk now about the Crusades to the Islamic land. The Crusades started in 490 and it ended in 690 after their stronghold in Akka fell in the hand of the Mamluki Sultan Al-Ashraf Khalil. All together there were seven Crusades. Reasons for the Crusades Reason number one, to establish a Western Christian kingdom in Al-Quds. I say Western Christianity because it does not agree with Eastern Christianity. But oftentimes Western Christianity persecutes Eastern Christianity. All in all, Christians throughout history have always persecuted every new Christian sect. Reason number two, to spread Western Christianity at the edge of the sword. I want you to know that Western Christianity was spread for the most part at the edge of the sword. It says in Matthew 10.34, I would like of you brothers and sisters to know this biblical verse. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. With this sword, Western Christianity was spread for the most part. Refusing to be baptized carried the death penalty in Charlemagne's Book of Laws. The Chronicles say that on one day 4,500 Saxons were executed. Why? For not accepting Christianity. When the Crusaders reached Syria, they were amazed to find Eastern Christians living peacefully under the Islamic rule. By that time, four centuries after the beginning of Islam, the Muslims had long been more civilized than any Western Christian.
Reason number three for the Crusades was to improve the chaotic conditions in Europe. Reason number four was to improve European economy. Reason number five was to retaliate for the Byzantine defeat in Mensecrete. Crusaders started coming from Europe through Asia Minor, establishing their principalities and killing Muslims until in the year of 492 they captured Al-Quds. When Al-Quds fell in the hands of the Crusaders, listen to what had happened. I would read to you the following passage from a book titled Christianity, A History. It is a nice book by Banver Gasconi. It says, With drawn swords, our people ran through the city. Nor did they spare anyone, not those pleading for mercy. If you had been there, your feet would have been stained up to the ankles with blood. What more shall I tell? Not one of them was allowed to live. They did not spare the women or children. The horses waded in blood up to their knees, nay, up to the bridle. It was a just and wonderful judgment from God. I do not know what kind of God they are talking about, unless the God they have is the head of a terrorist organization that killed women and children. Killing women and children without mercy is a wonderful judgment from God. What kind of justice and what kind of God they have got? I want you brothers and sisters to know that so next time a Muslim hater says a derogatory statement about Islam you will be able to refer him to this piece of history. But I know the God we worship is a God of love and mercy. The Caliph was not able to mobilize troops to protect Al-Quds which was under the Fatimid control. Having said that, let us talk about the Islamic forces who struggled against the Crusaders. We start off with Ahmad al-Din Zanki. Ahmad al-Din Zanki struggled against the Crusaders from 521 until 541. He was the governor of Mosul. He was able to unite Mosul with Aleppo to form one principality. He was a fair, religious, pious person. He focused his efforts to fight the Crusaders until he was able to retrieve a Raha from them in 539. After he died, his two sons inherited his principality. One was in Mosul and the other one was in Aleppo. Nuruddin Mahmud was in Aleppo and he carried on the mission of his father. 
after long struggle, he was able to bring Damascus to his reign in 549. He banned the Shia from cursing the companions. He organized his territory. He established a ministry of justice. He promoted religious education. And he continued the struggle against the crusaders. The Fatimid state in Egypt at that time was in its old age. The ruler was Al-Adid Lidinillah. He was powerless. But the power was in the hand of his prime minister, Shawar. A man by the name of Burgham unseated power from his position. So Shawar solicited the help of Nuruddin Mahmud to put him back in power and he in return will be affiliated with Nuruddin Mahmud. So Nuruddin sent his commander Sherko in 559 with a military force to see Shawar back in position. The mission was successful, but Shawar betrayed the agreement and requested Sherko to leave. Not only that, he sought the help of the crusaders to expel Sherko. So Sherko left. But not for long. When the time was suitable, he returned in 562, this time with his nephew, the talented soldier, Salah al-Din. They returned to Egypt to teach Shawar a lesson about honoring agreements. When they entered Egypt, Shawar sought the help of the crusaders. There was a confrontation between Sherko's forces and the Crusaders. This confrontation ended by Sherko leaving and the Crusaders retreating. This event, however, gave the Crusaders a feel that the Fatimid state was very feeble and thus they can capture Egypt from them. In doing so, they would weaken Nuruddin's state in Sham. So they came back to Egypt, but this time to take over. So Shawar sought the help of Nuruddin Mahmud. Nuruddin Mahmud sent his forces to Egypt headed by Sherko. They achieved two victories. They forced the crusaders to withdraw Shawar was eliminated and Sherko himself took over the prime minister position. Sherko died soon after. So his nephew Salah al-Din became the prime minister. So imagine this. Salah al-Din who was one of Nur al-Din's commanders became the prime minister of the feeble decayed Fatimid state. At that time, even though many regions were independent from the Abbasid Caliphate, but they still made dua to the Abbasid Caliph as a symbolic gesture that the region is still under the rule of the Abbasid Caliphate, even though Baghdad had no authority over it. 
The Fatimid, however, were completely independent from the Abbasid Caliphate. And they made dua to the Fatimid ruler, Al-Adid Lidinillah. When Salah became the Prime Minister of Egypt, Nur al-Din instructed him to order all the Imams to stop making dua to the Fatimid ruler and start making dua to the Abbasid Caliph, thus ending officially the Fatimid state and shifting Egypt to the Abbasid Caliphate. Between the years of 566 and 569, the nature of circumstances was not conducive for Salah al-Din to cooperate with Nur al-Din. Nur al-Din was busy fighting the crusaders in his area, strengthening and organizing his principality, and Salah al-Din was busy organizing Egypt, which recently exited from the oppression of the Fatimid rule. Let us speak a little bit about Salah al-Din. After the death of Nur al-Din Mahmud in 569, Salah al-Din emerged as the major leader. Some Sham governors and commanders wanted Nur al-Din's son, Ismail, to be the Sultan after his father. Only because he was young and that would give them the opportunity to be in control. This is an example how sometimes leaders allow their personal interest to interfere with the common interest. They did not want the well-qualified Salah al-Din to be the Sultan. They wanted this little boy to be the Sultan and that will give them the opportunity to be in control. Salah al-Din agreed to put Ismail as the symbolic sultan, but he would run the state. He improved the situation in Egypt. He provided generous grants to the people. He allowed many Sunni schools to operate in Egypt in order to restore Sunnah to Egypt. He was very diplomatic and wise in handling stubborn governors and commanders to maintain unity. He allocated a great amount of monies to build the military, men-wise and equipment-wise. The years from 569 until 583 were not a vacation to Salah al-Din. He, through his men, entered many battles with the Crusaders. Allah gave him victory in the majority of these battles. The Crusaders knew that Salah al-Din aspired to retrieve Al-Quds. Salah al-Din with his devotion, generosity, wisdom and expertise was standing like a high mountain blocking the crusaders from fulfilling their oppressive dreams. The governors of the crusaders principalities 
realize that if they do not come together against Salah al-Din, he would retrieve Al-Quds. So they joined forces from different principalities to fight Salah al-Din. In 583, the 24th of Rabi'i al the Battle of Khattin took place. Allah gave victory to the truthful Muslims under the leadership of a genuine leader. After Khattin, Salah al-Din retrieved many cities. On Friday the 27th of Rajab, 583, Salah al-Din retrieved Al-Quds from the Crusaders. So when the pendulum swung back and Salah al-Din retrieved Al-Quds from the hands of the Crusaders, did he allow his men to run through the city with drawn swords, killing Crusaders, women and children? The answer is, of course not. Salah al-Din was a Muslim leader who knew the Islamic values and manners. He offered the Crusaders to take their wealth and belongings and leave. And those who did not have money to travel with, he gave them grant money in order to relocate. Salah al-Din died in 598 and he is buried in Damascus, Syria. Brothers and sisters, stay with me until next time when we will, insha'Allah ta'ala, talk about what happened after Salah al-Din and how Baghdad fell in the hands of the Mongols وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد